and welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. This is a special week. We are so excited for college football. If you didn't catch our previous podcast, we just recorded uh, a Dog and Duck college football preview. And now it's time to talk about uh, the big picture. This is Mark and Warren's 2021 college football preview. We're going to talk top 25 teams, uh, what's happening across the country. And then we'll break down a little bit more of what we're seeing in the Pac-12. So Mark, uh, let's just dive right into it. We've got a limited amount of time. Uh, No surprise seeing the, the, the top contenders come out in this AP top 25. It's the usual suspects. Um, does it, does any of that catch you off guard? No, and you could put the rankings in pretty much any direction. I mean, I think my default is always put Alabama one. I see Oklahoma is second this year. So people are a little higher on them than they are on Clemson and Ohio State. Um, but if you're just judging by the last few years, it would seem like Oklahoma is kind of the fourth team in that pecking order, but that those four are the dominant programs in college football. They have dominated their conferences um, all. And uh, and so I think until somebody else kind of definitively takes that place, I think you just, you would have to start every season assuming that those four are the four teams to beat. Alabama coming off of a historic season they lost the Heisman Trophy winner, who was also the Bolitnikoff winner. They lost the Doak Walker Award winner. They lost the uh, Davy O'Brien winner. Yep. They lost another wide receiver who was actually drafted higher than the Heisman Trophy winner. Right. And uh, had a, over, I believe, 10 guys drafted in this most recent draft. And yet still, they come in as the overwhelming favorite to uh, to be the number one team again with 47 first place votes. Is this just the way that things are going to be with Alabama until Nick Saban moves on and something causes the program to crash down? Well, Warren, you left off that uh, because you focused on the skill players, they also, their center won the Remington Award yeah yeah he's out and then they had their left tackle won the outland trophy he's out you know he he moved on to the nfl so yeah i mean the the amount of hardware just on the offensive side of the ball and keep in mind that alabama is like a defensive program like we we tend to think of the yeah the alabama offense is kind of an afterthought and you know maybe they lost sarkeesian their offensive coordinator indeed indeed yeah Yeah, I think, is this going to be the norm as long as Nick Saban is there? The answer is yes. Uh, I do think it's uh, two things. I would say, one, they should be the default winner or the default preseason number one every time because they've won one, two, three, four, five, six national titles under Nick Saban um, going back to 2009, so in a little over a decade. Uh, However, I wouldn't say that it's, you know, that's six titles. That means that there are these other years where we've had other teams get up there. And so they've had in that same run, they've had a 10 and three season, they've had an 11 and two season or a 12 and two season. 
you know, a couple uh, in 2019, they were eighth in the country, um, which was kind of considered a down year by their standards. So like that could be the type of Alabama seat that probably should be the type of season we see from Alabama is, you know, an 11 and two, maybe they don't win the sec. They're still in the top 10, but like they, they shouldn't have the season that they just had because of all of the talent that they lost. And yet their track record is such that you'd be foolish to pick anybody else. Right. Um, it doesn't mean that this couldn't be Georgia's year. Or it couldn't be Texas A&M's year or, or some other team. You, you just, you're, you have to start with Alabama as the default until somebody beats them. And this is a pretty similar story to what we see with Clemson. They lost uh, Trevor Lawrence, the first overall quarterback picked, a Heisman Trophy winner, and you know one of the most surefire college football uh, quarterbacks of all time. Like you know Tim Tebow, Trevor Lawrence, like guys that just came in and were dominant from day one. Ohio State lost Justin Fields, who is a fir- was a first round draft pick and is uh, projected to be a, a starter this year. Um, and yet, here these guys are. They're all in the top four. You've got uh, Alabama at one, Oklahoma at two, Clemson at three, Ohio State at four. Is it just, I mean, again, is it just insert these names until proven otherwise? Yeah, I think it is. And the uh, so the team that you didn't mention there is Oklahoma because they have a returning quarterback in, in Spencer Rattler. But I think Oklahoma is a case study for why we just penciled these teams in, which is that under Lincoln Riley, they had Baker Mayfield as a quarterback who transferred in from another program. He won the Heisman Trophy at Oklahoma. Right. Then they had Kyler Murray. He transferred in from another program. He won the Heisman Trophy under Lincoln Riley. Then they replaced him with Jalen Hurts, transferred in from Alabama. He was the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy. That was the three-year run that Oklahoma had. Now they've got their guy, Spencer Rattler, who was, you know, going to be, should be one of the leading contenders for the Heisman Trophy, one would think this year. Um, One of the better... Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because I've got that pulled up. The the these are the odds, the favorites for the the Heisman Trophy this year, and I think it's to the point of these four or five dominant teams. The favorite, Spencer Rattler, makes a lot of sense, right? He passed for over three thousand yards, twenty eight touchdowns, and was coming on at the end. Nobody wanted to play Oklahoma at the end of the season, um, and he makes sense as a leading candidate for. The Heisman, but then uh, just behind him, Clemson quarterback DJ Uliagalele. I'm gonna get that yep. wrong until I get it right. But uh, he's only played uh, on spot duty, filling in for uh, Trevor Lawrence while he was out with COVID. Um, he did perform well, but not a lot of track record to to go by. But let me jump in there, Warren. He played. Yeah. He started two games. He beat Boston College, and he lost an overtime game to Notre Dame. Right. And in that overtime loss to Notre Dame, who was a playoff team, he threw for more yards against Notre Dame than any quarterback in history has thrown for. So, right. like, yes, he's only started two games, but we already know that he's capable of playing against one of the best teams in the country and throwing for over 400 yards. 
So there's no real uncertainty about Clemson's new quarterback. Like, well, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, like to be the 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 number two favorite, like he's not a, a you know he's not a uh, you know kind of a wild card. He's you know he, he's being placed out as like this is the one of the top two guys most likely to win the Heisman, and then right behind him is uh, Bryce Young, quarterback Bryce Young from Alabama. Uh, he's only thrown 22 passes in his college career. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, as a side note, he's already um, received over a million dollars in uh, sponsorships through the name, image, and likeness benefits. Um, and yet he really hasn't done anything. He's coming with a uh, almost an entirely new offensive lineup and a new offensive coordinator. And yet, because he's the quarterback at Alabama, you just got to slap him in there. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Is yeah. He's most likely to do it because that's what history tells us. And then JT Daniels is a good example of a guy like a little bit like uh, Spencer Rattler. He's on one of the best teams, but he did perform well at the end of the season. And so I look at that and then Sam Howell is kind of the guy that doesn't fit the mold. Um you know, he's, he's, he's a, a multi-year starter for yeah. North Carolina, which is not a blue blood school, but he's proven that he's worthy to be in the conversation. Um, but he's going to have the odds stacked against him, having lost a couple of his key running backs and, um, uh, you know, key, key receivers as well. So, you know, he'll have to rebuild. And then the final guy I'll mention is uh, – Ohio State, C.J. Stroud. And again, um, he really has nothing to show other than the fact that he's got an Ohio State logo on his helmet and he's yeah. the quarterback. Um, so I think to, to, to the point that we're making with this, this you know, analysis that ultimately when you look at the teams that are in the top five every year in recruiting, they seem to be in the top five every year in, in you know, reaching the, the college football playoffs and, and end of year rankings. They seem to be in the top five when it comes to Heisman Trophy candidates. At some point, you just have to say, these are the teams that are going to win all of these awards. Yeah. Well, and if, if you think about, so who has kind of broken into that group in the past seven or eight years? LSU won a national title. Yep. Joe Burrow, a transfer from Ohio State, goes to LSU and ends up putting together one of the most prolific offensive seasons uh, in college football history, won the Heisman Trophy. Um, you know, uh, Georgia has broken through and they had Jake Fromm as a quarterback, who's kind of the one guy that doesn't really fit the mold. Jake Fromm was, um, was I, I, it's disparaging. He was a five-star quarterback. He was a five-star quarterback, but wasn't but, that athletic freak? Yeah, yeah, was uh, yeah, and I'm I'm not suggesting in any way that he was a game manager or anything like that, but but was was not on the same caliber of some of these guys that we're we're talking about, but was incredibly accurate and started a ton of games at the University of Georgia. Um, and then if you if you go back further, you know, Oregon made the title game when they had Marcus Mariota. Yep. who was a Heisman Trophy winner. The year before that, it was Florida State won the title. 
when Jameis Winston won the Heisman Trophy. So it really is the recipe is like, if you want to break into that, you can try to go the Georgia route, which is just load up on a ton of great recruits across the board and give yourself a chance. But for the most part, it's you've got to have like the best quarterback in the country. And, and then maybe, maybe that's enough to, to get you into the title game or, or enough to deliver you a title. Absolutely. I mean, you know, even again, looking at uh, the last time that a, a Pac-12 team was in the college football playoffs, uh, you know, the year that the Huskies went, um, Jake Browning was the, uh, the Pac-12 offensive player of the year through 43 touchdowns. And for a little bit, really, I mean, especially after his performance against Oregon, uh, he was on the outside of the conversation for the Heisman Trophy. Now, you know, his performance fell off against USC and, and then he was eliminated from that conversation. But to your point, uh, you know, to have a quarterback that's putting out uh, outlandish numbers on a top five or six team seems to be the recipe for winning the Heisman these days. All right, so um, let's talk a little bit about the Pac-12 um, because the the Pac-12 is an interesting, you know, conversation when you look at the the top twenty-five. There's five teams in the AP top twenty-five poll that are from the Pac-12, and yet none of them are in the top ten, and this seems to be kind of the the problem for the Pac-12 is that there's not a Clemson that's just ruling the roost of uh, the ACC. You know, Florida State is down. Miami still hasn't figured out how to, you know, get their mojo back. Uh, so you've got this Clemson team that has just really amassed all of the talent that they can uh, for the ACC, and they've put together a super team. And yet with the Pac-12, you've got – Oregon ranked at 11, you've got USC at 15, you've got Washington at 20, and then rounding out the bottom, you've got Utah at 24 and Arizona State at 25. And as we mentioned on our other podcast we recorded earlier today, you know, you've got teams like UCLA um, that could potentially break in to that top 25 as well. Um, so, Mark, what do you make of the, the Pac-12? Is it, is it that uh, we're just incredibly deep or that we just are lacking that star power that we desperately need? Yeah, I think, I think there's two things at play. I, think, uh, I do think the Pac-12 probably doesn't get enough credit for being a deeper league than most leagues. Um, I don't think there is a Vanderbilt or a Kansas in the Pac-12, you know, I don't, or a Duke, you know, uh, I think uh, you take a team like Washington state or Oregon state in recent years where they're, they tend to be kind of uh, second tier teams, not really contending for conference titles or even division titles. And yet on the right game, they can, they can pull a big win. And, and, you know, um, playing in Pullman is, is usually a tough place to play. Um, even when they're like three and nine, they, it's a tough place to play. So um, 
So I would start with that. I would say that I, I do think the conference has some real depth. I think as far as the top end, um, you know, where it where kind of the ceiling is for the Pac-12, I think a lot of that will be determined just in the first few weeks of non-conference play. Uh, we both root for teams that won the Pac-12 in seasons where they lost a season opener to Auburn. You know, uh, yeah. the Huskies did it one year and the Ducks did it the next year. And Auburn, I think in both of those seasons was like the fifth best team in the SEC. It wasn't like, wasn't like we were losing to the Cam Newton Auburn team. It was, we're losing to an Auburn team that was, that was good, but not great. And, and that was like the best team out of the Pac-12 in each of those years that, that couldn't get past Auburn in an in a early season game. And so if you look at this year's slate and you say, obviously, Oregon-Ohio State is kind of the marquee game. It's instant credibility for the whole conference if Oregon could somehow find a way to win that game, which, you know, they're not favored to do. But you also have Washington playing Michigan. You have UCLA playing LSU. You will later in the season have USC playing uh, Notre Dame. Yeah. And so there are chances. Notre Dame, yeah. There are chances Stanford will also play Notre Dame, um, even you know at kind of the mid-tier level. Like Oregon State opens up with with Purdue. Like right. if if they beat Purdue, that just helps the conference kind of you know um, have the sense that they're you know Cal I think plays TCU as their biggest non-conference right. game. So how the conference does in those games will kind of tell the story of what the ceiling is and the rankings or how the best team in the Pac-12 does. I think if Oregon somehow beats Ohio State, they're probably gonna be in the top five the week after that. And then anybody in the Pac-12, if Washington has the season that you predicted for them and they beat Oregon late in the year, if they're beating a top five Oregon team, that's going to be credibility for Washington. Um, but you know, if, if, uh, if the Pac-12, if kind of several of those teams lose those marquee games, um, and so say your Huskies do have the season that you're talking about, but Oregon loses to Ohio State and USC loses to Notre Dame and UCLA loses to LSU, there may just be kind of a perception that they're, they're winning games in, in a lesser league and that may kind of hinder the perception. So I think you know, if the Pac-12 really wants to be taken seriously as a conference, it, it, it's going to have to be in, through non-conference games. That's that's how Clemson does it, by the way. Clemson's conference schedule is much weaker even than, than Washington's schedule. They won't play a ranked team the rest of the year, but they're starting the season against Georgia. And Clemson wins those types of games enough to have the credibility. You know, even if they lose to Georgia this year, it's not going to people aren't going to write off Clemson because of that, but they win those games enough that people now know Clemson is to be taken seriously. Even if the rest of the ACC is not, we just haven't had a team represent the PAC 12 in that way, really since Pete Carroll's USC teams used to dominate their major non-conference games. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I, you know, and, and it, it's a little bit baffling too, just, over the last three or four years, why the Pac-12 has performed so poorly overall in bowl games and out of conference, you know, marquee matchups, uh, because I think that the talent is there. And, um, you know, you mentioned the Auburn game. I mean, there's really no reason why 
Oregon shouldn't have beaten Auburn in that game. Same thing for the Huskies. Uh, you know, both those years, we, you know, we were more than good enough to, to win that type of game. Uh, USC, you know, this is a year that USC needs to beat Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame is a little bit in a rebuilding mode this year. Um, this is the year that they need to, to, to kind of regain that, that edge on them. Uh, but yeah, I think um, that, that along with the out-of-conference losses, which just kind of validate the, the narrative that you know, ESPN and other uh, major you know, stations put out there that, that the SEC is you know, by far superior and the Pac-12 is kind of uh, almost like the, the, the also-rans. Um, I think in addition to that, um, that, that because there is such a parity and fierce competition within the Pac-12, you know, there, there are no gimmies. And part of what that means in, in the Pac-12 is that when there are no gimmies, it also means that there's a much uh, greater wear and tear on teams. And so I think that that contributes to more, you know, more injuries. It contributes to more trap games. And uh, even when the, the heavyweights go at it, um, it's not uncommon for a heavyweight to then lose to, you know, a Washington state or an Oregon state um, because those teams are still well coached, you know, especially when you look at like Washington state under Mike Leach, um, that's a, that's a, that was a, an offensive team that if you weren't fully prepared for them, uh, they could take advantage of you, even though the talent deficit could be quite you know, quite large. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting thing to, to look at, but I think this is a year, Mark, where when you look at what happened as a result of COVID last year, and, um, you know, I know a lot of teams throughout the country are bringing back more starters than they normally would. Um, but I think in particular, the Pac-12, because our season was shortened more than almost any other conference, there are so many teams that are bringing back 17, 18, 19, 20 starters on this team. This is a year that we need to really perform well in these out-of-conference games and perform well at the end of the season in our bowl games. Yeah, you said it. I, I think, uh, you know, normally I, I, I get really confident if, um, if I'm rooting for a team that's bringing back their whole offensive line or bringing back four starters on the offensive line. And I think the Huskies bring back all five, right? And yeah. The Ducks, yeah, and the Ducks are bringing back four. But if you look at the Pac-12 as a whole, I think there are eight teams that are bringing back four or five starters on the offensive line. So it's two-thirds of the conference is in that situation where they're like, hey, our our offensive line is going to be really good this year. And it's like, well, one of those teams is going to be the eighth best offensive line in the conference. Like it can't work for everyone that way. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it is, it is interesting where, and it's not just in the PAC 12 it's, it's nationwide. There are all kinds of teams that are kind of sizing up their returning starters and their experience level. And they're saying, 
hey, this is this is our year. This is our year for breakthrough. And and the reality is, is there's a handful of those teams that are really going to have that that magic. And then the, there's a lot of fan bases that are going to find themselves discouraged because they brought back 18 starters and they went six and six and they want their coach fired as a result. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, you're right. If you look at team by team throughout the top 25, there's certainly a handful of teams that are bringing back a lot of start, a lot of starters. Iowa state is a great example of that, but um, you know, the NFL draft drafts the same number of players every year. And the fact of the matter is the the PAC 12 had much fewer, you know, guys drafted last year than a typical year. And I think they retained a lot more players. So again, if you're looking at a year for the PAC 12 to break out, this is going to be that year because they should have more depth, more experience, more age, less, you know, uh, guys that are coming and, and getting their first experience on the field. So this is the year where a UCLA should uh, be able to, to beat an LSU, whereas maybe a typical year UCLA has got four of set four of eleven returning starters and yeah. you know five of six on the or five of you know eleven on the defense. This is the year where they need to really put all that together. Yeah, I think if if you're kind of um, thinking in terms of like what's a perfect storm for the Pac-12, like what is the roadmap? to the Pac-12 getting a team in the playoff. It's, it's, you have to win the non-conference, obviously. Yeah. I think it's hoping for chaos in the SEC. Mm-hmm. I think there are so many good programs in the SEC that you're really just hoping that there's not an Alabama or an LSU that just kind of surges above everyone, but, but that you kind of want those teams to just eat each other alive. Uh, and and then I think what you're hoping for is, is just kind of some, some signature upsets. You know, a couple of years ago, it was Ohio State going on the road and losing to Purdue, which they had no business losing to. You know, Clemson uh, occasionally gets tripped up in the ACC, and this is the year where if they, if they lose that opener to Georgia and then they drop a game that they shouldn't drop to NC State, we, we might not, you know, be thinking of Clemson as a playoff team anymore. Um, But you also, you mentioned Iowa State, and I think that's the most interesting kind of storyline of who could crash the party because they bring back, I think, 20 starters from a team that beat Oklahoma in one game that they had and then came down to the wire in the other game that they lost in the Big 12 title game. And so, you know, is that a team that could somehow win the Big 12 and keep Oklahoma from having having that spot? It'll just be you know, fascinating to watch. It will be fascinating. You know, they, they, like you said, they, they played twice last year and they split. Um, and, you know, certainly the, I think Oklahoma uh, is feeling like this is their year. This is their year to take advantage of a little bit of a vulnerability, perhaps in the, you know, the top three of Ohio state, Clemson and Alabama get in there and finally win a game against one of those three teams. Um, But yeah, you asked the question about what's the path for the PAC 12. And, you know, um, obviously I'm biased. I'm, I'm a Husky fan, but I, I really think that the, the, the most likely path for an entry into the college football playoffs is through the university of Washington. 
They do have an out-of-conference on-the-road game against Michigan, but that feels way more winnable than uh, than Ohio State and, and Oregon. So assuming that they win that game, um, you know, if they can then go through that Pac-12 season 11-1, beat a, a top 25 uh, USC or Utah in the Pac-12 championship, if they get to 12-1 and as the Pac-12 champions, then you look at what's, what's ahead of them with, uh, you know, you've got, you've got Clemson and Georgia, like you said, uh, you know, playing early in the season. That's going to knock one of those teams down. If Georgia beats Clemson, Georgia ends up, you know, losing a game or two in the SEC, that could bring both those guys down a little bit. Um, Texas A&M, it's hard to imagine that they're going to be able to uh, go through the, the SEC unscathed. Um, and, uh, and, and then, like you said, between Oklahoma or Iowa State, it seems unlikely that both of those teams would make it into the, uh, the, the college football playoffs. So I think a, a one-loss Pac-12 champion this year has a very strong, legitimate chance of an argument to get into that college football playoffs. Now, what they do when they get into it, that's a whole nother story. And, uh, you know, I think that's if if uh, a Pac-12 team could win a game in the college football playoffs, it would totally transform the entire narrative of what's going on in the Pac-12 right now. Well, Warren, we have had a Pac-12 team that won a playoff game, if you remember. Well, I do remember that that seems like, uh, you know, eons ago. It, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it, what is it, nine years ago? No, yeah. no, it was, it was uh, 20, the 2014 season. 2014. So, yeah, eight, seven years ago. Yeah. Seven years ago. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously that, you that, that the Pac 12 was regarded differently then, right? That's what it took. Well, so this is this is kind of the interesting question because I made the connection back to Pete Carroll's Trojans as the team that really felt to me like, uh, like it seemed like they were always opening up with somebody like Ohio State or Texas or somebody like that, and they were winning those games and they were always playing Notre Dame when Notre Dame was good with Brady Quinn and they were winning those games and and then they usually did really well in their bowl games, and I actually think. I think since USC, they're the two best teams of the Pac-12 were kind of the Chip Kelly era of Oregon, which went through, you know, a little bit of the Mark Helfrich era, but I still consider that kind of the same, that Chip Kelly, Marcus Mariota era. Yeah. And then, and then the Chris Peterson era, those three years in particular with, with Washington. And I don't think that in either of those cases, those teams reached the same level of kind of national respect that USC garnered and I think it's because they they did have trouble delivery on the big stage you know as as fun as those Chip Kelly teams were you know there was a sense that if they got matched up against an SEC team that they were going to be overmatched and so they lost to Auburn in the national title game and in what was actually a really close entertaining game but they lost then they started the next season with a season opener against LSU and they lost again and 
and I, so I just, I think, um, yes, Oregon did win that, that playoff game in really decisive fashion. And they've made a couple national title games, which has benefited the conference and the Huskies made the playoff that one year, which has benefited the, the, um, understanding of the conference. But I think it still feels like until, until a team just kind of lays the smack down in one of those major non-conference games, yeah. the, the, the conference is just going to tail behind the rest in terms of how they're perceived. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. And um, yeah, I mean, Mariota was a generational player and that it's kind of like you look at it and you go, that's what it took. It took, you know, an innovative uh, coach like Chip, Kel Chip, Chip Kelly. It took a generational player like Marcus Mariota. And even with those two elements, they still weren't quite there enough to, to, to win the national championship and to be considered like one of those dominant all-time great teams. Whereas, like you said, if you go back to Pete Carroll and you look at that, you know, Leinert, Bush, Lindale, White era of, uh, you know, USC, even though they lost that, that thriller to Texas, it felt like for about three or four years, um, that USC era was almost like the way we perceive Alabama today. You know, where it was just absolutely, like, absolutely, they, they just, they had the best players, you know, every year you knew that one of those guys was going to be a leading candidate for the Heisman trophy. They had the best players, they had the best coach, they had the best program. And, you know, you just knew that they were going to be almost impossible to beat. And, um, you know, there, there hasn't, even with that Oregon team, with the, the transcendent uh, Mariota, it was like once Mariota left, it it kind of came back down to earth pretty quickly, um, and uh, you know, and so yeah, it it is interesting to think like like who could that? What would it take? Like you know, I, I look back at that 2016 uh, Washington Husky football team. I mentioned you know Jake Browning. He was the offensive player of the year, but let's face it, he was Jake Browning. But like, imagine if Kyler Murray had been on that Washington Husky football team, like, would he have been able to, to, um, you know, pull his magic out and beat that Alabama team? Because I mean, we really weren't that even though the score, you know, didn't seem that close, really, we weren't that far away from that Alabama team. Um, which who ended up going on to lose to Deshaun Watson and, and Clemson. But, you know, would one more transcendent player on a really, really good Oregon, a really, really good Washington team be the difference to get us into that, you know, top, top echelon? And I, I you know, I've been saying for the last five years, to me, the, the Clemson path is the way to get into the top five. And it's to have a really solid team um, made up of overperforming three stars, four stars, walk-ons like Hunter Renfro, who just do amazing things in their time there. And then you pull in 
a transcendent player like a Deshaun Watson that brings them into the mix and then you capitalize on it. You get Deshaun Watson and then you get Trevor Lawrence and then you get DJ, you know, and then you get all these defensive tackles that are just, you know, five-star guys after another. That seems like that's the recipe if you want to break into the blue blood, you know, top three or four like Clemson has done. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to do what Clemson has done is, I think, what everybody would love to do. I think, um, you know, how feasible that is. I mean, I because I think if I'm if I'm trying to be objective here, I know I'm an Oregon homer, obviously, but if I'm looking at this as like what Oregon has managed to do, and and I know you would immediately say it's been with the help of Phil Knight and Nike, and and I'll grant you that for the sake of the argument, but what they've been able to do has been to be able to create some sort of a brand that is attractive to people kind of outside of their recruiting footprint, like that they've been able to kind of become a destination school of sorts for the types of players that, you know, why are they going to Eugene, Oregon? It's because they've, they've created some sort of, of thing there that um, has allowed them to kind of uh, get in the rooms with, with some of these other schools. And and so the fact that they have played for a couple national championships is, is kind of unbelievable, like in this era, like it really is. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at, at kind of what the state of Oregon produces in terms of recruits compared to the states, you know, that, that the other major schools are from, I don't necessarily think to try to do what Oregon is doing is the blueprint that everybody should follow I think it's more to do what somebody like Wisconsin is doing which is Wisconsin has a tradition that now is about three decades of just producing really good teams of unearthing talent of occasionally having really transcendent players I mean they've they've had Heisman Trophy winners or All-American you know type running backs and things like that um, but always relevant They've won the Big Ten their fair share. You know, they've made plenty of Rose Bowl trips. They haven't necessarily broken through and been a playoff team um, in the six years that we've had a playoff for seven years that we've had a playoff um, or they haven't played in a national championship game. But like Wisconsin, it seemingly is always in the top 25 in the conversation, you know, playing in big games in October or November and I think if you're looking, if, if you're one of these schools that's kind of not in Southern California or Texas or the South, and you're looking for what is, what is kind of the recipe for success, I think it's much harder to do what Clemson is doing than it is to try to become what Wisconsin is, which is hire a really good coach, develop three-star talent really, really well, and and then every once in a while you just have a really great season where it all comes together and then in your in your off years you're still winning eight or nine games and you're still you know kind of on the margins of of respectability yeah yeah i agree well hey let's let's wrap up this uh um pack 12 conversation and and uh, circle back to the the top 25 and just kind of make our um, you know, I, I think making a prediction about who's going to be in the, the college football playoffs seems pretty boring. Um, but maybe just pick what's one team that's in the top 25. If you're looking at the list 
that you go, man, that's a team that just as a fan of college football, I would love to see them make it into that, uh, you know, elite four of the, the playoffs. Well, we, we touched on them already, but I, if, if I'm laying aside my Oregon uh, fandom, I am all in on Iowa state uh, because for one thing, I have a really good buddy uh, went to grad school with CJ who's uh, from Iowa. He's a huge Iowa state fan. Um, when we were living in Southern California, I got two tickets to an Oregon USC game and he put on a duck shirt and went with me for the day and received all kinds of profanity and shoves from USC fans on the train. And he wore it, wore it like a great fan, even though he wasn't even an Oregon fan, but, uh, he's a huge Iowa state fan. And so for him alone, I really want this, but just, this is a, you know, has been a doormat for most of their existence iowa state does not have a proud football tradition really at all i mean their their signature moments are few and far between on a recruiting level they are not anywhere near the standard of these other schools uh they have a head coach who will probably you know be sought after by all kinds of other other schools um anytime he shows an interest in leaving and so this really feels like this is their one shot this is they're returning 20 starters from a top 10 team they have an all-american candidate at running back an all-american candidate at tight end an all-american candidate at linebacker they have a four-year starter at quarterback and so i am all in on iowa state i'm i'm hoping the best for them i would love to see them have kind of that magical season and if they were to somehow to win the the big 12 and end up in the playoff it would be it would be historic it would be um the type of thing that really just doesn't happen in in college football so i'm i'm pulling for the cyclones yeah, the Cyclones are a great pick and a lot of fun. And, and like you said, it's it's kind of that recipe. It's like you've got the innovative coach who knows how to develop guys. Um, he's found a few diamonds in the rough with, uh, you know, quarterback that is actually on kind of some of the Heisman uh, watch lists as well as a running back on some of the Heisman watch lists. So that this is like you said, this is the time to strike if you're a Cyclones fan. I'll choose a, a different one just for the, the sake of conversation. But um, North Carolina, the Tar Heels in the top 10, they're bringing back a potential Heisman Trophy uh, winner, winner and quarterback, Sam Howell. Uh, they are having to replace a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but as a, a guy that went to college, in North Carolina, not at North Carolina, but in North Carolina, married a Carolina girl, and um, you know have has spent a lot of time in the Southeast. Uh, it would be a lot of fun to see North Carolina rise up, and uh, they would have to go through Clemson in order to 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 get into that conversation. But um, this seems like the year that if Mac Brown and uh, the the Tar Heels were to do it, this would be the time. So that would be yeah. a lot of fun to see the Tar Heels, um, you know, shed the 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 reputation of only being a basketball school, yeah. and um, you know, get into the conversation for for college football. I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. I love Mac Brown giving his folksy post game interviews. <laughs> Um, you know, and I, I think Sam Howell, he's a true transcendent 
quarterback. Indiana is kind of in that similar category of like the basketball school that has one of the best quarterbacks they've ever had. Um, I don't think they're quite as good as North Carolina and, and probably not as much of a contender because the big 10 is so much tougher, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see uh, how the Tar Heels can do. And they don't, they wouldn't play Clemson until the ACC championship game. They right. don't draw them in the regular season. So they would at least have a chance to kind of build up some momentum before that, that showdown. Yeah. And that would be quite a showdown if both those teams could come in, you know, ranked in the top six or seven uh, into going into that game. Well, Hey, this has been great. Uh, thank you, Mark. And thank you everybody for listening to the show. If you like this podcast, uh, please uh, like it, rate, subscribe, do all that stuff. Um, as I said, at the end of our last podcast, we created this show for this time of year like the dog and duck show it's all about really getting into uh you know the the weeds and and all of the details of college football nfl we'll have guests coming on this season we'll have a lot of friends jump in and join us along the way uh so please uh, subscribe share this podcast with friends that either support the dogs or the ducks or just like sports. And uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to many more of these. Uh, so with that, I'll wrap things up. I'll say go dogs. And go ducks. We'll see you next time. <laughs>